Thank you for listening to Franklin City Church's Sermon Podcast. For more information on Franklin City Church, please check us out at www.franklincitychurch.com. This is Matthew 6, verses 9 through 13, the Lord's Prayer. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Well, it's a privilege to be a, a part of an emphasis on prayer. Uh, because I know that's an area where I need to keep growing, where God needs to um, tenderize my heart, help me to realize how dependent I am upon him and him alone, and for all of us to continue to get on our knees and to ask God to do what only God can do. What a privilege it is. We... uh, Last Sunday, this Sunday, and next Sunday, we'll be looking at what's called the Lord's Prayer. It's really more of a prayer for the disciples, so you could call it the Lord's Prayer or Disciples' Prayer. And last week, we looked at uh, verse 9, Matthew 6, verse 9, and basically that talked about the attitudes of prayer, uh, that we can be intimate. He is our Father, but He's also in heaven, so we should pray transcendently with a an, an awe of God, of, of who he is and how great he is and how far he is above us, how his ways uh, are higher than our ways, his thoughts than our thoughts. And then we talked about how we also need to pray reverently because his name is hallowed, his name is holy. Why is God's name holy? Because God is holy. He's completely different than us, completely above and outside of his creation, time, and space. And so as we consider those attitudes of prayer, today we come to verse 10. And verse 10 says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So as as I teach that today and as I cover some of the points about the kingdom and about God's will, I, I want you to think about it in this context. Your kingdom come, your will be done in my life as it is in heaven. Don't just think so broadly, yeah, God, I want your kingdom to come and your will to be done in our church, in Franklin, in Johnson County, in the United States and the world. No, think about it more personally. God, I want your kingdom, I want you to rule and reign as king in my life and I want your will to be done, not my will. You don't have to live life very long to realize that when you're trying to build a kingdom of your own, it just doesn't work. You're not the king. Or when we try to exercise our will as opposed to God's will, it never goes as well. We were created to serve King Jesus. We were created to be servants who hear his word, his will, his ways and walk therein. 
That's what God has called us to. So if Jesus prays in the first part of this prayer, pray then like this. Why should we pray this prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done? Well, it's because we continue to try to establish our own little kingdoms and we, we continue to try to exercise our will, our manipulation, our whatever it is to try to accomplish what we feel we want to accomplish. So Jesus says to his disciples, because you have that old nature that still exists within your members calling you to build your own kingdom and to do your own will, he says, you need to pray like this. God, your kingdom come. Lord, your will be done in my life as it is in heaven. Let's pray. Father, that is the nuts and bolts of what you are saying to us that you are the creator, we are the creatures. You have created a world where the creatures, where nature itself is to bow in worship of you and to acknowledge you as the maker of all things in heaven and on earth. And yet God, many times our sin causes us to be so focused on ourselves that without that renewing of our mind, without that, that prayer that you will do a work in us, that transformation that causes us to focus on your kingdom and your will, Lord, we can easily get off path. So Lord, I pray today that you'll say something in this message that will capture our hearts, that each person's heart will be captured by you, that we'll be more committed to fall on our knees and to pray that prayer, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done in my life and in those around me. I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Your kingdom come. The word kingdom comes from the Greek word basilia, which means the realm in which a sovereign king rules. So kingdom is a certain realm, could be a person's heart, could be a geographical area, the world in general, but it's the realm in which a sovereign king rules. That's what kingdom is. And it's used in different ways in the Bible, several different realms or kingdoms that God and Christ rule over. And so let me explain a few of the different kingdoms that we see. This might be an area of confusion. I think as we consider praying that prayer, your kingdom come, it's best for us to understand what the word is talking about in terms of kingdoms. First of all, we have God's all-encompassing kingdom. In other words, he rules over everything from eternity past to eternity future. It's all-encompassing. Um, I'll go to the same psalm that Grant read from this morning. Psalm 103, 19 says, The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his sovereignty rules over all. That is God's all-encompassing kingdom. We should pray for that to continue, and I can assure you, it will. It's just a matter of whether we cooperate with that, right? The second aspect of God's kingdom is God's prophesied or prophetic kingdom. Uh, let me read a couple passages from Daniel. This is a future kingdom that the prophets proclaimed. 
Daniel says in chapter 2, verse 44, and in the days of those kings, talking about the four great kingdoms that, that King Nebuchadnezzar saw in his vision that Daniel was explaining, he says, in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and God's kingdom shall stand forever. And then in Daniel 7, 27, it says, And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. That is the prophetic kingdom, the prophesied kingdom. And just read the major and minor prophets. There's all sorts of prophetic word there just talking about that future kingdom, all right? The third kingdom that I see in Scripture is God's inaugurated kingdom when God the Father sends God the Son to earth. In Luke 17, 20 and 21, it says, being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them. This is Jesus speaking. He says to the Pharisees, this religious sect of the Jews, he says, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. They were expecting some type of a, a big military coup or a campaign that would demolish the, the Romans and bring the Jews back their freedom. That's what they were looking for, that kind of a kingdom when David and Solomon ruled. Uh, they were looking for that, but Jesus says, the kingdom of God is gonna come in ways that you don't even notice. And they hadn't noticed. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God, and he's talking about himself, the king, the kingdom of God, the king, is in the midst of you. Now, I don't think he was talking to the Pharisees about the kingdom of God being in the midst of them. But he's saying, I, the king who rules the kingdom, is in your midst. A lot closer than you think. Open your eyes, basically. And then Mark 1, 15 says, the time is fulfilled. Kind of like Galatians 4, 4. In the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. In other words, at just the right time, God sends the son. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Again, referring to himself. Then he, then he says to them this, a response to the king being there. Repent and believe the gospel. In other words, the good news that the king is bringing. You're looking for the kingdom? The king of the kingdom is here and he's offering you something. But you'll need to repent and to believe the gospel, the good news that the king is now bringing. That's the inaugurated kingdom. And then Jesus gives proof that he's the king and that the kingdom is present right there by his miracles. So in Mark 4, 23, it says, and he went throughout all Galilee teaching. Remember some of the different times that Jesus taught and people were just kind of shaking their heads in amazement, like, wow, he's teaching with such authority. Well, he has all authority in heaven and on earth. So, yes, I would think he would teach rather authoritative. All right? 
People were amazed. Even when the guards were sent out from the temple to go take Jesus and seize him, and he came back empty-handed, and the, the, the uh, temple officials say, what happened? He says, nobody's ever spoken like this man spoke. There was something about the teaching of Jesus coming from the heart of God with all authority and all truth, eternal in the heavens, established in the heavens. People were amazed at the teaching of Jesus. So he was teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel, the good news of the kingdom. See, the kingdom, the king and the kingdom is all about good news. It's God keeping his word, fulfilling his promises, bringing the king, establishing righteousness and peace and holiness and all those things on the earth. But people, many times, that walk in darkness want to reject the king. They want to reject the kingdom. Jesus says, don't do that. I've come to bring good news. And then after that, it says that, and he was healing every disease and every affliction among the people. The king is all powerful. Be part of the kingdom. Let the king work in your life to do what only the king can do, to bring whatever healing or freedom that you need. Jesus can do that this morning. The kingdom of God is here. Where two or three are gathered, Jesus said. Well, we have at least two or three. We have a few homesick, but we have at least two or three. So Jesus is here. Whatever you might be wrestling with in your own souls in terms of kingdom, rule, and reign, and will, you can put it at the foot of the cross and put it in the hands of Jesus and let him take it. Cast it on him because he cares about you. And then in Matthew 12, 28, they were accusing Jesus of, of uh, casting out demons uh, by the, the power of the kingdom of demons. So he says, but if it is by the spirit of God that I cast out demons, which it was by the spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. If indeed I'm being led by the Spirit of God and demons are being cast out by that Spirit, then the kingdom of God is present. That is the inaugurated kingdom. That is the kingdom that the scriptures tell us about, that Jesus came and lived and died for you and me and rose again and ascended to heaven and sent the Holy Spirit. And he says, repent and believe. Receive the good news of the kingdom. And so that brings us to the fourth kingdom that I see in Scripture. And I don't know what scholars or theologians call it. I'm just going to call it God's personal kingdom because it deals with each of us as persons. Because he's, God's kingdom is, is all-encompassing and because it's a prophesied kingdom and it's an inaugurated kingdom, God wants to make it a personal kingdom. He wants to rule and reign right here. He wants to plant his kingdom and his will right there and to release it right here and right here. He wants his kingdom, he wants you to be all about his kingdom. He wants you to make it personal. So here's what he says in Matthew 18. Because sure, everybody was seeking the kingdom, but Jesus said it comes in somewhat secretive and quiet ways, like Jesus was born in a stable. There were a few shepherds and a few wise men that were drawn to that, but the rest of the world didn't know a thing. 
Oh, that's Jesus. He's Joseph's son, the carpenter. No big deal. Even Isaiah says he wasn't anything to look at. So it says this in Matthew 18. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? You ever had that thought? Who's the best at this, me or my brother? Who's, who's the best at this in, in our company, in our business, on our team? I can raise my hand on several occasions. I probably didn't say it out loud because I had great parents that taught me well. I was in church every Sunday, but didn't know the Lord. And uh, outwardly, you know, it may have looked as if I was somewhat righteous compared to others, but inwardly, it was all about seeking my good, my kingdom, my will. It caused a lot of heartache, but the Lord kept reaching out to me. Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. But whoever humbles himself like this child, he's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says you have to turn from trying to build your own kingdoms, trying to exercise your own will. You have to turn from that and be like a child. Humbly submit to the kingdom of God and to the will of God. And when you do that, you can enter the kingdom. When Jesus was talking to one of the respected religious leaders, Nicodemus, in John 3.3, Jesus answered Nicodemus and said, Truly I say to you, unless one is born again, born from above, born of the Spirit of God, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus just didn't know how to handle that. Well, how can that be? Well, it's not a physical rebirth. It's a spiritual birth that has to take place. We're spiritually dead, born into this world spiritually dead. So there has to be something that quickens us and makes us alive. And that's Jesus. That's how we make the kingdom personal. And then he says in Luke chapter 12, do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. Now, there's probably nobody here this morning that's worried about anything, are you? I mean, am I, am I preaching to the choir? Yeah, are you worried about anything, Israel? No? I love you, Israel. <laughs> that's right. Be like a child. I'm sorry, you're not a child. You're, you're almost a grown man. That's right. So once you enter that kingdom, Jesus says, you don't have to worry about all these outward things that used to consume your mind. Well, what are we going to eat today? What are we going to drink? How am I going to keep myself warm? What am I going to wear? He says, you don't have to be worried anymore when you're in the kingdom. Why? Because you have a king who loves you and will care for you and will provide for you. So if you'll just seek his kingdom first, in other words, if you'll be under his rule and reign, 
and trust him completely, he'll give you everything that he already knows that you need. The good news of the kingdom, the good news of the king. Folks, it's really an offer that you can't refuse. Unless you're just, I was going to say hell-bent, but you probably shouldn't say that in church. Oh, I did. I said it, didn't I? Forgive me. Unless you're really determined that your way or the highway, this is really just an offer you cannot refuse. And then I love what he says at the end of this passage. Fear not, little flock. It is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. In other words, Jesus isn't going to make it so hard that you can't find your way into the kingdom. He wants you. That's his good pleasure. Folks, I don't know if I've ever seen this verse before. It seemed to jump off the page at me when I read that this past week. Fear not. Fear not, little flock. It's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom, to give you the king. I don't know what you got for Christmas, but this is, this is, the, this is better than any of that. The king. And then we go on in Romans 14 when Paul teaches that the kingdom is not a matter of eating and drinking, but if, you're, if you have the king and you're part of the kingdom, it's about Christ's righteousness which we possess by faith. And when you receive Christ by faith and you receive his righteousness, righteousness then gives peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now I noticed that as, as a freshman in college when through the Navigator ministry I received Christ, I noticed immediately I began to walk a little bit lighter. I had a peace. I had, all of a sudden, I had purpose in my life. And it wasn't all about me anymore. And just, I just felt free, the pressure off. I just got to love and follow the king. And my wife, right back here, Sharon, right there. The one shaking her head like, please don't talk about me. That's the one, yeah. She was so full of joy because of the king in her life that a Christian group on campus just about booted her out. She was just too joyful, and they weren't going to have it. I took a chance on her. It's, it's proved a good choice. Well, it produced this man right here, so I know. It's just such good news. I'm telling you, it's just such good news. Here's, here's a quote by Athanasius. I just wanted to give this quote because I like saying that word, Athanasius. It's just a great word to say. But anyway, around A.D. 350, he was a church leader. He said, no Christian can have a doubtful mind on the point that our faith is not in the creature. Nope. But our faith is in one God Almighty, Father Almighty, maker of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, and I love that word, begotten. It means one who originates with the Father and then is sent forth. He is begotten. It's a word you won't hear people use very much, but you should say it. Don't just say one and only Son. Say begotten Son. 
and understand that it's a son who's been sent forth from the heart of the father to reflect the father and to, to bring his kingdom. And then there's one Holy Spirit. So one God known in a holy and perfect trinity that we are baptized or immersed into and sealed with and then united to deity. Man, through Christ, we are united to the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We are adopted sons and daughters. We're part of God's family in Christ. All because of the king and the kingdom. Then it says this. We've been baptized into and then united to deity. And then it says, we believe that we also have inherited the kingdom of God through Christ our Lord. We get all of that. We get the Father, we get the Son, we get the Holy Spirit, and we get the kingdom of God. All through this personal relationship or this personal kingdom that Christ offers us. So let me go on to the second part of this verse. Your will be done. I'm going to come back to the kingdom in just a few minutes. Let me talk about God's will. First of all, Jesus never tells us to do something that he's not willing to do himself. When he said, pray, your will be done. He says, pray to the Father. Father, your will be done in my life as it is in heaven. Jesus prayed that same prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. Luke 22, he says, Father, if you are willing, not Lord, well, this is my will, Lord. I'm gonna skip this, this aspect of my life here if you don't mind. No, he says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. But then quickly he says, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus is our example. He not only teaches us how to pray, but then he prays and then he submits the Father's will. Would you rather follow anyone else? No. Not at all. In Matthew 7, 21, he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So if that's the criteria, then we need to know what is the Father's will? What does the word of God say about God's will? And I'll start with John 6, 40. It says, for this is the will of my Father. That's how you'll know if it's God's will. When you're reading the scripture, it says, this is the will of my Father. Then you'll know that's his will. It's pretty clear. It's not complicated. It is not rocket science. If you can thaw pipes, you can understand it. This is his will, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. Kind of goes back to that personal kingdom. Everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him, trusts in him solely for his salvation and life and eternity will have eternal life. That is God's will. So if you're here this morning and you've never beholded the Son, looked intently at Jesus and put your full faith and trust in him, you can do that right where you're sitting. You can invite him to come in and take control of your life. 
and then he'll send the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, into your life, and you'll be in the kingdom. But remember, be, do it like a child. Just confess your sins and your weakness and repent of those things and turn to him and invite him into your life. And then we also need to be concerned with renewing our mind because that is God's will. Our mind is constantly going to be pulled by the flesh and by the world and by Satan and his team. So Romans 12, 2 says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And the way you renew your mind is through the word of God. That by testing or proving, you may discern what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. In other words, as we study the word and our mind is renewed in the word, in the truth, then we become more discerning of what God's will is. See, if, if you think you can be a growing Christian and really be uh, a productive member of the team, the, the kingdom here on earth, and you're not renewing your mind in the truth, then your mind is just being pulled along by the things of the world. And Paul says those things are passing away, but the one who does the will of God abides forever. First Thessalonians, uh, sorry, First John 2, 15, 17. So First Thessalonians, I knew I had a First Thessalonians in me here this morning, chapter five, verses 16 through 18. This is something else that God's will. Rejoice always. See, when you're really seeking the kingdom and seeking God's will, you'll become a peaceful, joyful person. If you're not hopping a little bit every once in a while, then you might just want to spend a little more time with the Lord. Capture a little bit of that joy of your salvation. Be like Israel. No worries. No fear. Just jump for Jesus, right? Come up here, Israel. Show us, show us how you jump for Jesus. Champion for Jesus right here. Good job, buddy. Thanks. We didn't plan that, by the way. You probably tell. So rejoice always, and then it says pray without ceasing. See, this is why the kingdom life, this is why prayer is so important. Yeah, pray without ceasing. If you're not focused on the kingdom and focused on God's will and not renewing your mind on a perpetual basis, you're not going to pray without ceasing. You're just going to be worried, thinking about other things, wishing your own thoughts, your own ambitions, directions, all those kinds of things. No. If you want to rejoice always and give thanks in everything, you have to pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing is right in the middle of rejoicing always and giving thanks in all things. God puts it in the middle. It's there for a reason in the middle. If you pray without ceasing, you'll rejoice and you'll give thanks. And, and it says, this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. It's a verse you ought to know and hang on to and ask God to make true in your own life. And then let's go to suffering a little bit. Let's go back to 1 Peter, all right? I know you all appreciated that the preaching that Grant brought on suffering. And uh, we have a number who are suffering right now, who are sick and not doing well. 1 Peter 3, 7, for it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. In other words, it might be God's will to suffer 
even while you're doing good. That might be God's will. And then he follows it up with 1 Peter 4, 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will. Okay, suppose you are suffering for doing good and it's God's will that you should suffer as you're doing it. He says, do this. Entrust your souls to a faithful creator while you keep on doing good. That is God's will. Psalm 103 says, bless the Lord all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. It is also God's will for us to bless him, to thank him, to praise him. And then I love this uh, doxology at the end of Hebrews where it's talking about God's will and it says, now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Your kingdom come, your will be done in my life as it is in heaven. And now I want to go back to the kingdom. I've got one more point. So the kingdom, I, I mentioned five things. I mentioned God's all-encompassing kingdom, his prophetic or prophesied kingdom, his inaugurated kingdom, and his personal kingdom. And now we finally come to the fifth point, which is God's future kingdom. The one that was prophesied is one day going to come on the scene, all right? Jesus, when he was before Pilate, all right, and being tried before he was crucified, uh, he said to Pilate, he says, my kingdom is not of this world. In other words, even though he inaugurated his kingdom in the hearts of believers, the full consummation of that kingdom wasn't there yet, and it was not going to be of this world. It was going to be of heaven, all right? So let me just go to Revelation and read you a couple of passages as I finish up here this morning about the, king, the future kingdom. First of all, it's going to be launched by a battle, good and evil, Christ and Satan. And so in Revelation 19, if you read Revelation 19, 20, 21, and 22, you'll see a lot of aspects of this kingdom. Of course, you've got to go back and read the, the, the major and minor prophets to see a lot of this as well. But this is Revelation 19, 11. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like the flame of fire, and his head, and on his head are many diadems. Why? Because he's the king. That's why he has many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. Why? Because he is the king. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh is a name written. What is it? King of kings and Lord of lords. And then after the millennial reign, the thousand year reign of Christ on earth, we finally come to the new heavens and the new earth, the full consummation, what we call the eternal state of the kingdom. And it says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. 
He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. Are you thirsty this morning? Thirsty for the kingdom. Thirsty for God's will. Thirsty for Jesus. Thirsty to eagerly pray and wait for all of his promises to come true. If you're thirsty, you can be quenched by living water without payment, without cost. It says, the one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. And I'll close with this verse from Hebrews 12, 28. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. We can be shaken, but God's kingdom cannot be shaken. Put your faith in God's kingdom. Say, God, your kingdom come in my life, in this church, in this area of the world, forever and forever. Let your will be done. Let your kingdom come. And then as he's talking about this unshakable kingdom, he says this, our response to God's kingdom, to God's perfect plan and will for each of us, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. So I'm gonna close in prayer, and that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna offer some worship with reverence and awe. Father, thank you for your incredible word. Thank you for the spirit that brings it to life. Thank you, Father, for speaking to each of us in only ways that you can speak. And Lord, thank you that you are our wonderful example who left the comforts of heaven to bring the kingdom of God to earth, who died in our place, and now who offers us the kingdom and the king. Lord, as a result of that, May you break our own wills, our pride, our own thoughts, our own ways, and help us to seek yours. Lord, we ask you as a child that we might not worry, but that we might pray, rejoice, give thanks, and fall down and worship you as King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus, we love you. Amen.